Hey, bookworms. Welcome to the Picky Bookworm Podcast. I am so glad you are here. I am the Picky Bookworm, and I love bringing recognition to indie and self-published books through book reviews, proofreading, and podcasting. Every Saturday, I get to talk to a member of the writing community, from book bloggers to authors and even other podcasters like myself. I'll include a link to my website where you can leave a comment with your thoughts on the show or questions for the author that I may not have gotten to. You can also find information on how to sponsor this podcast. Ready? Grab your tea, wine, or laundry, and let's get to it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Picky Bookworm Podcast. Today, I have J.D. Sanderson on the show with me today. We are going to talk about all kinds of stuff. Um, He sent me a bio. He's got some books that um, has have influenced his writing. He's got some TV shows that have influenced his writing. So we are going to talk about all that kind of stuff and books and life and um, whatever else comes up. So grab your tea, grab your wine, grab your laundry, Caroline, and we're going to get started. Hello, JD. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Um, so how um i understand that you are in the same time zone as me so how mm-hmm. is your weather because my it here is it's bipolar it's, it's absolutely yeah. our weather here is absolutely bipolar it has gone from it went from like 60s and 70s within t- within like two days it was in the 90s and then it stayed in like the the high 80s and 90s for like a week and a half and now it's like 55 outside yeah it, uh, we had 80 degrees earlier the week before that but our power was knocked out because we had this huge windstorm oh no and um and then uh now it's just 49 degrees and rainy all the time oh i i don't under- i do not understand I, I don't understand the earth right now. She, she is just, she's not real happy with us, I think, right now. Nope. Um, and, and I grew up on the East Coast, so this is, this is it, getting used to the central time zone has always been weird. Oh, yeah. I, I've always lived in central time zone. Like, I was born in Illinois, lived in Arkansas for a little while, and now I live um, in Oklahoma. So it's, yeah, I've, I've always lived in the central time zone. I I had somebody funny, funny story. I had somebody actually try to give me directions, give, give me directions to my own house one time. And I looked at her and I was like, and this was just a few years ago. I think I was mid mid thirties. And I looked at her and I was like, okay, I was like, just so you know, not only have I lived in this apartment for two years, I have lived in the same square mile since I was 13 years old. I think I know where I'm going. (laughs) Well, well, you can't blame her for trying to be helpful. She just kind of looked at me and I'm like, well, she was, she was really rude about it. It wasn't, she wasn't just like, yeah, she wasn't just trying to be helpful. She was actually being kind of snarky about it. And I was just like, I trust me, I'm fine. So yeah, I've never had trouble with directions. Um, Okay. 
So one thing that I saw in your bio is Star Trek has been one of the influences on your writing. So mm-hmm. let's how how does Star Trek fit into the inspiration for your books? Because I'm a huge Trekkie, so anything having to okay, do with cool. Star Trek, I'm I'm totally down for that. Yeah, well, I I would not probably be a science fiction fan in general if it wasn't for Star Trek. Um, I've, I've tweeted this out before. The Next Generation premiered on my fifth birthday. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, so I watched it with my dad who, you know, was – he grandfathered me into Star Trek because uh, he watched the original series when he was young, live when it aired. And um, so I, I was hooked ever since. I love The Next Generation. I, I went back I, – when I was like five, six years old, I watched all the original movies that were out. Um, then Deep Space Nine came out. And that's still my favorite Trek series to this day because I was about 10 when that came out, and it was – I was able to grasp it a lot more. And um, it's always been a unique thing because, you know, despite what a lot of people say about the current shows, uh, you know, Star Trek, even at its most dour, is not nearly as depressing as most other forms of science fiction that are popular. Um, um, You know, Star Trek, you could take the most single depressing episode of Star Trek and it would still be a uh, sunshine and rainbows compared to most of what's, what's popular nowadays, especially in books. And I just was never somebody who got into like the dystopian thing. I, I, I completely skipped over it. Um, I don't enjoy it. And um, it's fine for people who like it. I have no problem for people who like it, right. you know, more power to you if you want to write it. I could never sell it. And I know that. So I um, would always prefer to stick with something that's a little bit more optimistic. Yeah. I, um, I, I totally get what you're saying um, about Star Trek being, you know, just a little bit more upbeat and a little bit more positive. As a reader, I'm a huge dystopian <laughs> fan. <laughs> and I think it's I think it's so funny that, you know, when I when I meet somebody that is just not a dystopian fan and I <clears throat> I'm not even sure that I could ever explain exactly what my fascination is with dystopian it's it's a weird sort of escapism that makes me feel better about my own life I guess would be you know because the the hunger games is probably one of the most popular uh one of the dystopian books that um most people are familiar with and Katniss Everdeen she's got it tough She's, I mean, just mm-hmm. go through all three books. She just really has it tough. And so I think that th- that's kind of the the appeal for people behind why they enjoy dystopian is, one, it kind of gives us a glimpse into how our world could be. And two, it makes us feel a little bit better about how the world is. Because our world sucks right now. And... <laughs> I mean, it just, I mean, things are just, they feel like they're falling apart right now. And so I think dystopian is just kind of that, kind of that weird sort of escapism for people who, who enjoy the, the genre. So again, no, you know, no judgment on my part for people who don't like dystopian. Um, I'm just one of those weirdos that enjoys it. Yeah. My, um, (laughs) 
my my dystopian stuff ended with uh, Brave New World, Fahrenheit 451, and Animal Farm. I think those are the only ones I've ever read all the way through. Fahrenheit 451 um, is absolutely terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible book. Just don't burn books. Just, just don't. I even tried watching the movie. There's a movie, I believe, on <coughs> Prime, if I remember, Amazon Prime TV. There's actually a movie called Fahrenheit 451 that follows the, the book. It's, like, based on the book. I, yeah. I think I made it through maybe 15 minutes of that movie, and I was just it's like... A, it's a frustrating they're, watch. They're, they're burning books. I just don't do that. Yeah. It's absolutely heartbreaking. <laughs> yep. Um, it's a very good warning, especially with what's going on today, where people are trying to ban certain books that aren't even that rough to, to read. I'm like... I just... Yeah. But, um, I've never yeah. understood the whole banning books thing. I'm like... It's... But then... then I, I say I don't like Dystopian, but then in my short story collection that I released um, a year ago, one of the books could definitely be called that. One of the stories could definitely be called Dystopian. It's called The Snowstorm, and it's about a future world that has been taken over by a mix of anti-vaxxers, flat earthers, and other extreme conspiracy theorists. <laughs> and I so wrote it's like that, a comedian I wrote dystopian. <laughs> yeah, I wrote that in 2019 as like almost like a parody, and then I just look around today, I'm like, well, called it. <laughs> Yeah, that's, you know, I I think that is um, a little bit more, uh, you're just, you know, kind of adding to the reasons why um, people who enjoy dystopian, because, you know, there's dystopian books that we've read years ago, you know, like 1984 and Brave New World and, you know, things where the government is basically trying to take control and to the extreme and then you kind of look at the world today and, you know, especially with the, um, the reversal, the potential reversal of Roe versus Wade, it's, it's very similar to, okay, the government is, you know, trying to come in and control everything. And it really makes you wonder if those authors back then didn't have a, didn't have a line on <laughs> Yeah, and like Nosferatu type prophecy. <laughs> um, okay, so the the other influence um, that you listed in your bio is the Twilight Zone, and I I'm gonna let you talk about that just a little bit. I've never actually watched the Twilight Zone. I know, ever, like ever. <laughs> I think I saw. One episode when I was a kid, like the old school Twilight Zone. And then I think I saw maybe two or three episodes of The Outer Limits. Both of which really kind of freaked me out. I I don't I don't deal well with the brain twisters. <laughs> time time yeah, travel I, irritates me. So yeah. <laughs> Oh boy, would you hate my books. Um, <laughs> it, gives, it gives me a headache. You have to like really explain the whole like time travel and butterfly effect. And, you know, you have to like mm -hmm. keep me knowing what's going on or it's going to give me a migraine. Yeah, I wrote a time travel, a two-part series. My first two books, The Footstep Echo and a sequel to Clocks Now, I were all time travel. And um, I went out of my way to make sure there were no grandfather paradoxes and no butterfly effects. And I had to, and I 
I'm going to spend hours listening to podcasts about quantum physics and other stuff just to make sure I could explain it somewhat reasonably well because I did not want to have to deal with any of that because I get headaches from that too. I like when time travel makes sense. You know, another reason I like Star Trek um, is because I like tech. I like to write based on plausible technology. Right. I could, I know, I don't. I, I could be. A, I would be a terrible fantasy author because I could never just say, "Okay, this works because it does." <laughs> you know, I, I could never do that in this world. I yes, to, it uh, works. It it just does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah don't question it. I, yeah, I I had a uh, when I was in high school, um, we had a student teacher for my algebra two class, and some of the some of my fellow students were. They were our basketball players and they were our football players and they were not nice people. And this poor student teacher, she's trying to explain a particular concept to us. And the one of the guys in my class was just like, well, why, why does it do that? Why does it work that way? And she, you know, kept trying to explain it, kept trying to explain it. And he kept going, well, why? Why does it do that? And finally, she just looked at me and she goes, well, because it does. And this was like algebra two. This was like a concrete sort of math concept. And she was right. just like, she got so frustrated. She was like, well, because it does, it, it just does. Okay. I, I can empathize with it. Um, <laughs> I like things to have an explanation. I, that makes, that also makes me a real jerk to watch a lot of movies with. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I won't, um, I won't call my husband a jerk but he's the same way medical things. If there's something medical or scientific, that's incorrect. He will tell me and he can't help it. Like it literally, there's no filter between his brain and his mouth when it comes to those things. And I have, I have just gotten used to it over the past years because it's, I mean, he literally, he can't stop. He's tried and he just, he can't. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. I, um, I think, I think the first time I watched the Twilight Zone, I, I never got into the Outer Limits. I watched a few episodes of the Outer Limits, but it's it's more horror than science fiction. And Twilight Zone is more of just like a, a what if thing. Um, you know, what if the world just suddenly was like this one day? And I always love that concept of just completely screwing. I love I love screwing with the reader. I, I I think I might have said this in my bio. I go out of my way to avoid any genre convention I can I can avoid. I like to avoid anything I've seen, heard, or read before. I don't mm -hmm. want to use any usual tropes. Um, I get bored very easily. I don't want to ever write a book about the hero's journey. Again, I have no judgment for people who like writing about the hero's journey and like right. using the save the cat formula and all this stuff. I yuck i can't stand it i i this is probably why i'm not going to write that many books over my life because i just i'm going to run out of ways to not use a formula mm -hmm. um yeah i, I, I love Go uh, i i love books that take those usual tropes that you're used to and just kind of turn them on their heads you know and mm -hmm. i think that's why i love the indie community so much you know i i have mentioned this probably 25 times or more that, you know, the, the indie community, the books aren't traditionally marketable because they're not traditional <clears throat> stories. And mm -hmm. I, you know, being someone who loves things that are unique, you know, loves things. I am very much a purist. Do not give me a sequel to a movie that was made 25 years ago 
Do not give me a remake of a movie that was made 25 years ago. Bill and Ted Face the Music can kiss my booty. Just absolutely, just don't do it. Matrix 4, I was so disappointed. Loved the first three movies. 30 years later, they're making a, a fourth movie. And I was thoroughly disappointed. So, you know. Yeah, I, I, love, I love the Matrix 4, surprisingly. I loved it because it did not do what I thought it was going to do. And if you subvert my expectations, I'm very, but I'm also the guy who loves The Last Jedi. Because it was completely different from, I've never sat in a Star Wars. My wife and I went to go see that opening night. And we were like looking at each other like, we, I don't know what's going to happen. I've never felt this way in a Star Wars movie. I love Star Wars. I go see every movie. I've always been able to call them beat by beat. And I love seeing a movie. It was the same with Matrix, um, the Matrix 4. I was like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. All right. I'm in. I'll at least watch it all the way through and know it's, and still I can see what's going to happen. Surprise me. Try, please. <laughs> yeah, I just. I, I, but I know why it's not for everybody. Yeah, I've seen the, you know, you asked me my favorite movie and I will tell you the Matrix, the, the first Matrix movie. And I even liked the second and third movies. Most people did not. I really liked them. Um, and then, you know, I was so excited for Matrix 4 to come out and I watched it and I'm like, this is just not what we've come to expect from the Matrix movies. It's just not. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm very much a purist. I'm very, very unique uh, when it comes to the stories and the movies and, you know, things that I will say that I enjoy. Because of that, I tend to, you know, the movies that are not very popular, the books that are not very popular, um, you know, Ninth House. Uh, I was talking with somebody on Twitter, uh, Ninth House, when it came out was hugely popular. Everybody was reading it. Everybody was talking about it. I read it and went, uh-uh. I never even heard of it. It's, don't bother. <laughs> it, it is, it's one of the very few books that I will list the title and I will tell you not to bother. I, I don't usually bash books. That is one that I, I will just flat out as my opinion, don't bother. <laughs> there, there was just, there were a couple of scenes that I felt needed a trigger warning that did not get one. Mm. Um, I was not personally triggered by it, but they were bad enough that I knew other people could be. And it, and the book just didn't have a trigger warning and it just really bothered me. So it, it, don't bother. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, Green Lantern, Ryan Reynolds movie, loved it. Um, the Wild Wild West, the Will Smith movie, um, those two movies. Ryan Reynolds lists the Green Lantern as his least favorite movie that he's ever made. And um, I, every time I hear him say that or every time I hear that he said that, I'm like, but, but I liked that movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, and I think that's why I gravitate towards the indie books and the, the indie community, because you guys don't, you don't write what's quote unquote marketable, what the traditional big houses think is popular. You write the, what I consider the good stories, <laughs> the original stories, the unique stories. And yes. I, you know, I will forever be grateful um, for you guys uh, giving the world those stories and giving the world those books. Even if I can't read them all, I don't have enough time to read them all. 
Right. Yeah, I, I, when I was shopping my first book, a footstep echo around, I was really proud of it because I was like, I think I've done something that probably not many people have, have done. I, I really went full weird with this one, and especially for a, a time travel science fiction book. I mean, my main character is in his 70s, something you don't see a lot of in a lot of um, no, science fiction. No, you don't. And um, the other main character, she can't talk. So that was fun to write. But um, uh, I, I, when I shopped around, I got the same feedback from a couple of different places. Uh, well, we like your characters, and it's a really cool idea. We have no, like, no idea how to sell it. They said, if you want us to sell it, um, the, main, the 70-year-old guy should be a background character. Your main female character, um, well, she should talk, and she should be maybe instead of around 28, make her about 18 and, and mention how good-looking she is. And... Um, and um, uh, you have a gay character. Let's make sure we just not not mention that because that can offend some people. Um, instead of utopian future, let's make it dystopian. And I'm like, so what do you want me to keep? Wow. Okay. <laughs> I I wish the listeners could see the look of absolute horror on my face. I. <sighs> wow. Um, and they, they said your book should be. I've never read the Hunger Games, but they said it should be more like the Hunger Games. And that, and I was like. Um, so, although I saw, I saw, I saw the movies, the Hunger Games, and they were okay, but I was the first they, two. The, books, like were, the, the books were so much better. Just, they, they really were. I, I, so I had like better. an allergic reaction. I have something, if somebody tells me something, and this is not, probably not fair for me to say, but if someone tells me something is like a young adult book, I automatically don't gravitate towards it. I, I don't have any kids in my, in my stories. I don't write anything for kids. My books are rough, not like trigger warning rough, but they use a lot of bad language. There's adult situations. There's. There's situations that you would not, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable with a kid reading. Nothing like graphic violence or violence against women or anything like that. But, you know, I just, I, I will, I will be the guy who never writes a middle grade book. I'll just say that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I get it. That's especially in 2018 when I wrote the book, that's still what was really flying high off the shelves, that kind of stuff. And that's, that's the attitude that people have. And I realized that I'm just not going to be able to um, sell my books to people like that, um, which is fine. You know, I've sold a fair amount of books on my own. I, I did have a deal with a great indie publisher for my short story collection. Then COVID happened, and they lost all their sales, and they shut down. Oh, no. Oh, that sucks. So, I'm, so I I got the rights back, and I eventually just released it on my own. Um, well, I am, I am glad that you did. Thank you very much. Um, I will tell you what I tell everybody else. The world needs your stories. Um, you know, when I was, when I was a kid, Amazon did not exist. Um, I talked to, uh, I've had guests on, I've talked to other people that I have worked with in the past that, you know, I, I mentioned, you know, Amazon didn't exist or Google didn't exist. I didn't get my first household computer until I was in high school. Um, so, you know, just dating myself. I mean, we just, there was so much that I didn't have growing up. We had libraries. We had traditional mm -hmm. publishing. That was it. If you didn't publish with the the big houses, chances are you were not going to be in the library. And, right. um, you know, so while I read so many mainstream books growing up, I did the... Um, I read a lot of Christian fiction growing up, um, and I did a lot of uh, female authors. Um, I read a lot of Victoria Holt, uh, Danielle Steele, Jeanette Oak. Um, I think I've read pretty much all of Jeanette Oak, Oak's books. Um, Frank Peretti, um, 
And, you know, and as I got older, I just kind of moved out of the romance stories and the romance genre and, you know, just moved more over into the adventure and the fantasy and the sci-fi started reading Michael Crichton. Um, my mom probably oh, had, <laughs> I love Michael Crichton. My mom probably had a coronary the first couple of times I read Michael Crichton because his books, he does not clean up the language. And no, and, and he doesn't get the credit he should for his impact on science fiction. People, I mean, because, I think because his books sell so much, there's like this air, like, he's not a real, he's not a hard science fiction author. Well, who cares? The guy's fantastic. His stories are amazing. I, I will tell people when I talk about Michael Crichton to somebody who has not read a Michael Crichton book, and there are people out there who have not read a Michael Crichton book, but what I usually tell them is Michael Crichton will take a scientific concept such as nanites, such as gene therapy, such as... Um, airplanes in airframe uh one of my favorite books by him and he asks himself what happens if this all went to hell and you know in in his book prey he you know basically takes nanotechnology and he asks himself okay what if the nanites became sentient uh -huh. And he was one of the first ones to do that. Then he wrote this entire book about what happens if nanites becomes, you know, basically become sentient. And it's one of the freakiest books in Jurassic Park and the Lost World. What happens if they actually bring back dinosaurs? And so it's just he he asks himself, what happens if it goes wrong? You know, so yeah, he, my my favorite his book his book The Terminal Man is still one of my favorite books of all time. I don't know if you've read that one. I don't know. If um, I, I want to say I have, but I don't remember yeah, for sure. I might have to go back and look at it. It's, a, it's about a, a man in a psychiatric hospital. It was written, I think, in the early seventies, and they made it into a movie, which was not good. Um, I, that would be something that I would say, please remake it because with a good budget, because it's a great story. Um, but it's about a guy who's psychotic and has suffered psychotic blackouts where he hurts people, and they. They put um, electrodes in his brain to stimulate the pleasure centers and calm him down. Well, then he, he this guy has an IQ, with, you know, well above 140. He figures out how to hack the computer with his brain. And then, then as you said, it all goes to hell. So, I, yeah, I, I love those those types of stories where, you know, you take yeah. this, this common concept. Um, and there was a book that I read recently um, by Charles Wachter. Uh, I got it on a net galley and it's called the twin paradox. Um, mm -hmm. And it's very similar. Um, you can tell that Charles Walker has taken some inspiration from Michael Crichton's books of, you know, what happens if it all goes to hell. Um, yep. And I thoroughly enjoyed the book. It was I did not feel like I was reading a Michael Crichton book. Um, it was not, uh, it didn't feel inspired in that way in which, you know, Charles Walker read Michael Crichton and was like, okay, I'm going to write a book exactly like it. It was, it, you could tell it was inspired by that sort of hard science and that sort of, okay, what happens if it goes wrong? Um, but it was written very differently. And it was yeah. a group of teenagers. It was a group of seniors in high school. 
and instead of adults and um very very well written highly recommend it i have a, a review up on my blog for it um definitely recommend it um it is not dystopian um it is it's very it's very similar to a michael crichton book so um i yeah. would say it, if you enjoy michael crichton um you should definitely it, check it, out the twin paradox it wasn't until a review of my second book um the sequel to my first book um, which is the same time throughout the universe where someone compared me to michael crichton i realized oh my god yeah this guy really did influence the hell out of me growing up um because i my the future world like it, it, it takes place in two timelines this series our time right now and uh, the early 2200s. And I did not want to make it an evil government thing because everyone else is doing that. So I said, okay, it's going to be pretty close to a utopia. You know, they, people figured out how to get along. Technology has advanced and it's been helpful to people. So I said, okay, what can I do to really, because a lot of people are going to find that boring. You need some kind of antagonistic force. So I said, okay. Um, so, and uh, because it's a time travel book, I also didn't want to make, oh, one person took the secret to time travel and now he's going to take over again, been done to pieces. So I said, what would be a terrorist force in uh, a utopia? Throwbacks. I said, so the, 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 the antagonistic force in my book are a group, they're nicknamed the Mossbacks. They're eco-terrorists. And there's, they, um, their whole point of view is, yes, you've cleaned up the world, but you never should have had to clean it up in the first place. And they want to live apart from everyone else. They want to live and in this new, brave, you know, pardon the pun, brave new world of it, where everything actually is really nice. People are like, why would you want to do that? And people tend to get pissed off when you don't let them do what they want to do. Right. You know, and the main, one of the main characters from the future is an orphan. I was like, okay, well, I can do that. I like that idea, but I don't want to do the same old orphan trope. I said, so what do you have when you have no disease and you have no, um, accidents you have you have a, a, people live a lot longer and there's a perfect world you probably don't have a lot of orphans you don't have a lot of accidents so it turns out the caregiver system that this girl was shunted into was not maintained and so you see i wanted to find some cracks in the utopia that could still realistically happen because if we can't take care of you know certain kids in the system in you know 2022 we probably won't be able to do it in 200 years from now right <laughs> un yeah. un unfortunately so and then there's other there's other things like I again I like, oh, who would be a good people to pair with these throwbacks? Androids, artificially intelligent androids. Why? Because they hate us too. So you know, I just again I, I like I throw it all in a blender, I mix it up, I'm like, let's just hope this comes out. I don't plan or plot anything I write. I every time I've tried that, I quit the story 30 pages into it and throw it across the room. I'm like, nope, oh, no, I, I bottleneck. I, I become a slave to my ideas and I can't book my way out of it. So I said so when I saw the show on Netflix called The OA, I'm like, this is so radically weird. I'm just gonna try and do something like this. I'm gonna, but I'm gonna sit down. I am not gonna make up one thing. I'm gonna have, I said, well, I'm gonna just do the idea of an old man as my protagonist. Okay, that's the only thing I planned. And everything else I did for two books, I just made it up as I went along. Wow. Um, and um, it took a year. It took a year to write each book because of that. I am assuming that when you plot and you plan things out, it probably goes by a lot faster. Because yeah. I would I would get I would get through a chapter. I'm like, nope, nope. I like that, but it reminds me of something else. Delete, 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 delete. All right, <laughs> let's go back and do something else. You just really, really, really don't like cliches. No, I don't. Um, you know, but at the same time, um, 
Oh, actually, no. Probably some of my favorite movies do not have cliches. I was going to try and um, going to try and say yes, I do. But I mean, there's some stuff I like. Like you said, your favorite movie is The Matrix. Mine, my favorite two movies are Contact and Arrival. And I, I while I have seen them both, they're not my favorites. Arrival was not bad. Contact was meh. Um, my one of my favorite alien movies. You're, you're probably going to laugh at me. Was Evolution. With David Duchovny, Orlando Jones, and oh yes, I uh, saw it. Sean Williams. It was funny. It was funny. That that's probably okay. you. Yeah, one of my favorite comedies, I would say, is probably Evolution. Um, I I love um, alien movies. I love outer space movies. I don't read very many books set in outer space, um, but. I, you know, like Stargate uh, is one of my favorite TV shows, like very, very, very favorite TV shows. And, you know, it's one that I feel like could actually happen. I am one of those people. And I think I, I think if you went to Cheyenne Mountain just outside of Colorado Springs, there is probably a secret base there where they are. Um traveling the universe i i think it could actually happen it's very realistically done um yep i i had i had seen the original stargate movie i saw it in the theaters when i was a kid and then my wife got me into the show so now i've watched almost all the shows and she's a massive stargate freak she loves it and oh, your, your wife and i would get along your wife and i would get along so I, well <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Stargate Universe. I watched it live with her, and I loved it. And it was so good. And it was canceled. I'm still. It's one of those shows. I'm still wearing a black veil for that it was canceled. Um, Seeing Stargate Universe, I tried to watch Stargate Universe, um, but it reminded me too much of Battlestar Galactica. You see, go back and watch. Go back and binge it. Because if you binge it, it really doesn't taste like Battlestar Galactica on a rewatch. Because she just rewatched the whole thing, and she was initially one of those people that was like, and I was like. Yeah, it's good. I mean, I can see what they're going for. This is the style of shows now, but God, it had such subtle character development that I didn't catch watching it live week to week. But when you can binge it, it is fantastic to watch. I I will I will see what I can do about that. Um, I I make no promises. I don't ever make promises, but I will see what I can do. Um, and so, um, okay, so. Let's see. So you've sh- you've released three books. So you're talking about your duology and your short stories, correct? Your anthology. Yep. Okay. Um, so you've you've released those three books. Can you um, list the the three books? Um, I think I'm seeing a footstep echo, the clock's yep. knell, and knell is spelled K N E L L. And then the yep. collection is around the dark dial. Yep. Uh, okay. So tell me about around the dark dial. Cause I'm seeing here it's 11 stories inspired by old time radio plays. Yep. This is um, again, the fault of my dad and I believe my aunt, his sister, um, she gave me a collection of radio plays on cassette tape in the nineties when I was a little kid. 
and um, I listened to them. There was an old radio series called X Minus One, and they were broadcast in the fifties. You know, adventures in a thousand Navy worlds. You know, all this kind of cool stuff. And it was kind of like a pre Twilight Zone thing. And they were all these famous authors did them. You know, there were stories from Ray Bradbury that were adapted. You know, Isaac Asimov. You know, Clifford D. Simak, and all these people who are, are legends, titans nowadays. And and um, I just love the fact that they went, they took you just with a few voices, no visuals, very few effects, you know, just a guy knocking on the table for the, uh, for the footsteps, you know, and springs on a, on a board for a door. And I was like, you know what? I, I love doing this stuff. And I was like, um, there was a time in 2019 when my wife and daughter went on vacation. I didn't have enough vacation time, so I stayed at home with the dog. But I was like, oh, I'm really, really, really bored. I'm just going to try writing a short story. And then I wrote one a night for two weeks. And um, I, I wrote them in the style of those radio plays. And what I did was th these stories are very dialogue heavy. I, I wasted very little time on description and scenery because I, I let the, the characters do all the talking for me. Pardon the pun. <laughs> um, so, you know, like one story that I love is actually takes place in a radio station. It's this late night kind of like um uh oh god i'm blanking on the name of it uh used to be the overnight radio show with george nori and he would talk about paranormal stuff all the time um and so these two guys in the city um i put it in new york and they're they're talking about alien encounters and then one of them starts hearing a voice on his headphones telling him to shut up and no one else can hear it and then it just all goes all goes to hell from there um <laughs> there's a there's a story about a uh, super volcano in Wyoming blows up. And out of nowhere is, you know, as pretty much all of North America is going to be wiped off the face of the planet. Um, a force field comes around in a hundred mile radius that no one knows where it came from and protects everything and locks it off for a hundred years. And then one day the force field comes down and it's the first exhibition going to go check that stuff out. What, what could that be like? There's one where two sentient robots are raised very differently one of them with a family and one of them is plugged into the internet and allowed to absorb all information Interesting. And, uh, so that's kind of like a cool a cool thought experiment and there's one where someone fits a whole bunch of animals in the wild with the pretty much kind of like the collar from the movie up where the dog gets to talk oh okay but, um that's <laughs> that's the only um that's the only thing i've ever done that was kind of funny because the animals just all start arguing with each other <laughs> and, um, and I just, that was me. I think that was the last one I wrote. I was just getting kind of punchy. <laughs> so instead of taking it so seriously, I was, there was some serious things in there, but the, animal, the, the, the people who fund the experiment are coming by to look and the scientists just cannot get the animals to stop bickering with each other. <laughs> and he just looks like a terrible ass in front of everybody. So I, oh. but I wanted to, do, I wanted to catch, when you listen to a radio drama or any kind of audio drama, like there have been stories that have been adapted yeah, like um, there's one called The Message that was done, and I, I love this one. It's on YouTube if you can find it, and um, it's in eight parts about people who find an alien message. And I love that it's just people talking to a microphone to, to carry the whole story, and your imagination has to fill in the gaps. Huh. And that's what I wanted to kind of do. I, I did that with my novels too, but there was because they were so much bigger, um, I had to put a little bit more description there. But I am not. Um, I am not an author who's good at description. My first rejection said, do not try and be Stephen King. You are not Stephen King. You will never be him. I can tell your stories are going to live and breathe in dialogue. Oh, and no. I, 
And the fun part was I was not trying to be Stephen King. I don't like Stephen King's books. I've never finished one, ever. His, I understand why he's popular, but they're not for me personally. I think I've read, other than the Dark Tower series, um, I think I've read maybe four of his books that's outside of the Dark Tower series. I loved the Dark Tower books. The movie, mm-hmm. the movie can just go away. Um, tell me it's tell me it's a sequel to the books. I don't care. I it, it was absolutely terrible. Um, uh, and but I love the Stephen King movies. So the movies that are made from a lot of his books, um, I enjoy those. The Stand um, loved that more than the book, um, surprisingly enough. Not the new one, of course. Purist loved the old one. Um, Gary Sinise uh, will always be East Texas to me. Um, not James, um, whatever his name is. I don't remember. I don't even know what <laughs> the guy who plays him. I don't in the new one. I'm not even sure who that is. Um, someone can come back and let me know. Um, so real quick, I do want to make a note for our listeners. Yes, I am aware that the volume on JD's side is going up and down. I am not entirely sure. He is not actually moving anything. He is just sitting there talking. He is not actually adjusting anything. So I am not sure why the sound keeps going in and out. Um, But yes, I am aware of it. I am very, very, very sorry. There is honestly not a whole lot that we can do about it. So um, I hope that it is... um, not um, unenjoyable for you um, because it's not um, like the sound isn't being garbled. It's just, it's honestly just going quiet and then louder and then quiet and then louder. So yes, I'm aware of it's, it. It's because really I fun. said, it's because I said, I don't like Stephen King. And before that, I don't really like fantasy. So the writing gods are smiting me right now. <laughs> the the book gods are, are just not happy. Um, but yes, you know no. what? The, in, the indie gods are thrilled with you. So um, we will just. I've never met out. Stephen. I'm sure he's a very nice guy. I, I, he, he's written a lot of books on the craft. God bless him. I just, I, you know, not every book is meant for everybody. See, and I have the opposite opinion of you. I actually think he's probably kind of a dick in real life. Um, Seb, I'm really sorry. I, I'm really sorry. Um, my friend Seb in Ireland, <coughs> he is a huge Stephen King fan. Huge, huge, huge. He's read all of his books. Um, so yes, I will apologize, but I, I, he does not strike me as being a very nice person in real life. I, I don't know. That's just, I don't actually, I don't actually know much about him. So I, I, I followed him on Twitter for a while and I, I actually had to mute him because he was just, most of his tweets were just mean almost. And just, yeah, overly political and again I'm not overly political so I try to stay away from all of that anyway and I'm on Twitter to talk about books with you guys so you know I, I don't need politics clogging up, <laughs> clogging up my Twitter feed so okay um, you are working on a short story um, can you tell us just a little bit about your the short story it's called the lunar wool pack yep um and again i gotta give props to my amazing wife because 
not only is she very supportive and patient, but she also comes up with cool titles because I can't ever think of a title of anything. So, yes, the Lunar Wolfpack, I'm done with it. I, I, um, I wrote it for a contest last year, a LeVar Burton short story contest. I didn't make it to the final round. So I said, I'm just going to retool this a little bit and I'm going to shop it around. And it's, it's very different from anything else I've done. This is almost like solar punk, like very bright and happy and optimistic. It's, it's a first contact story. Um, it takes place roughly 40 or 50 years from now, it could be. And um, I tell it, I love it because I tell it out of order. It's like a Christopher Nolan thing where you're jumping back and forth between different parts of the story and you have no clue where you're going. I know, I know. Not everyone likes Christopher Nolan. But, it would make um, my, it would it would give me a migraine it would make my brain hurt jumping or jumping around my husband and i call them forward backs it's you know where the story yeah, I, like jumps back and then and then flashbacks again and then jumps forward and then flashes back is uh, yeah uh, this this one only jumps back and forth between about two days so and it's very it's only four thousand words so it doesn't do that much jumping it's not like it's jumping back eons and everything that's what my time travel books do but i um I, uh, so I'm shopping around right now. I'm waiting. I, I shopped it down to one place. They said they liked it a lot, but they did not. They didn't fit what they were publishing in that month. So I'm waiting for another one, and we'll see what happens. I mean, but I, I like it because I really wanted to try. And this that one is more than anything else, kind of a Star Trek type feel. I like Star Trek. We I think we've discussed that. Um, okay, so we have um, a about 15 minutes left. And one of the things that I really like to talk about with the authors that come on the podcast is um, any advice, any tools, um, any routines or rituals that you use that help your writing process um, that maybe other authors either haven't heard of or... um, can use in their own uh, writing journey. This is where I come across as very boring because, well, as I said, I don't plan anything out. Right. So I literally just sit down, start writing. Maybe sometimes I'm going to have a cup of tea and uh, that's it. (laughs) I don't, I just sit down, start writing. Maybe there's an episode of classic Trek on in the background or new Star Trek. I love them all. Um, But um, my dog just walked in the room. Buddy. But yeah, I had I had my cat in here earlier, and he was making a butt of himself, so I had to kick him out. But, so you you just literally yeah. just sit down and and write. Um, yeah. So you don't do you have any sort of um, ritual like you know you you sit down and you drink like your tea and then you know think about what you're gonna write right then or you just you know kind of sit down and literally just let your fingers do the talking i sit down and just let my fingers do the talking if i if i I feel like if i think about it too long if i marinate on something too long again i'm gonna bottleneck i'm gonna or i'll start overthinking it's better for me if i i like to surprise myself when i write too that's why i also just uh, what do they call it pantser online just to um just completely wing it um, okay, so um, being a pantser, how do you um, do you struggle with writer's block? And if so, how do you get past it? Because I know a lot of pantsers will will struggle with writer's block. I think the way I 
avoid it. I've never really suffered from it, actually. And the way I did get it is because I took breaks. You know, I, I, well, I, well, I took a break recently. Um, this short story I wrote was the first one I wrote in two years. Um, I wrote two novels and then 12 short stories. One of them I forgot to mention also was in a book called Remnants, which is kind of like a post-apocalyptic horror type thing. It's a collection with a dozen other writers. Um, and it is out now. It's on my author page. It's a really cool book. But anyways, so 12 short stories, two books, all in the span of three years. So I was like, I need a break. And um, one, one of the worst pieces of advice I've ever heard is you need to write every day. You need to read every day. No, you don't. You can take in your stories however the hell you want to. If it's on TV, if it's on audio, if it's on streaming, I don't care. Go to the theater and watch a cool story if you want to. As long as it's something that makes your creative juices flow, cool. Yeah. Um, I took two years off or more from writing, and I felt perfectly fine. Now, maybe there are people like, you know, there's people who have to exercise every day or they're going to fall off the wagon. Maybe that's what where that advice came from from, from writing every day. But me, yeah. personally, I didn't need to. But I also have a day job and a little kid, so I don't have time to write every day. Yeah, um, I I think that I think that the um, I think you're right. I think the advice of write every day or read every day um, is very similar to someone who exercises. Um, one thing that um, I listened to a podcast, um, Amy Porterfield's um, online marketing made easy podcast. And in one episode, she is talking about when you're creating content every day, it can't just be you putting out the content. The, it can't just be the outgo. It has, you have to have some sort of input uh, as well. So part of her personal um, content creation process is she reads she will listen to a podcast she will watch a tv show and you know because in order to be able to put content out you have to have content coming in um and i think that that is part of what you're talking about is you know you don't necessarily need to write every day but you do need to feed your creative process as often as possible, even if that's just watching a TV show, even if that's going to the theater and watching a movie, reading a book, listening to a podcast, um, you know, just kind of feeding that inspiration and, and feeding um, those creative processes. Yeah. Okay. So what, what is your favorite writing tool? Is it just, you just sit down with your laptop and word or um, do you use like a particular program? Uh, laptop and Word. Uh, if I if I had to have one thing that was a tool for writing, it would probably be the wonderful assortment of podcasts online. Because, like I said, I, I had to learn a lot about physics to try and make some kind of time travel seem plausible. So I would take a break for a day and I would listen to a podcast while I was working, and you know, then come back later and go, "Okay, that's how I can solve." Um, so, do you listen to music while you are writing? Sometimes. Yeah, depends on the mood I'm in. What do you prefer, instrumental or do you prefer mm -hmm. lyrics? Um, go either way. Sometimes, like I, uh, my first book, 
there were times when I was listening to some uh, angry rock like uh, Meg Myers, or I was um, sitting there listening to Appalachian Spring by uh, Leonard Bernstein. So, you know, it can be a little bit of anything. Um, yeah, usually when I am, you know, I, I ask because there's, you know, a lot of the people that I know on Twitter, especially, um, they can't listen to lyrics when they're writing because the, the lyrics kind of tend to make it into the writing. And, um, you know, and I've noticed in, you know, as being an editor and proofreader, if I am working on somebody's manuscript, I cannot have lyrics going. My brain will start listening to the lyrics and I will lose all sense of attention on what I'm actually supposed to be working on. And I'll be like three or four pages later and be like, I don't remember a bit of what I just read. <laughs> I have to go back and start over. So I tend to stick with the, um, with the instrumental. I have like three or four different playlists uh, on my phone. Um, yeah. And they're all like the relaxing, like instrumental chill and electronic for focus and, you know, all that kind of stuff because I can't do the lyrics. Right. No, I get that. <laughs> so um, when you were writing your time travel book, what was the one podcast that you listened to that helped you the most? Um, I think the thing that actually helped me the most, it wasn't an actual podcast. It was a series of free college lecture lectures from Dr. Michio Kaku. Uh, he's the guy with the really white, wild white hair who's always on to talk about space stuff or NASA or SpaceX or whatever. I have a couple of his books, uh, Hyperspace, Physics of the Impossible. Um, I read that crap for fun. Just <laughs> That's how popular no, I was in school. No judgment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We all, we all like what we like. There, you know, that's one thing that um, I really like uh, about readers um, and people who you know read and review books and, and things like that in the indie community in particular. There's no judgment. If you prefer mainstream books, you read your mainstream books. If you prefer indie books, if you prefer fantasy, if you prefer romance, you know, there there are enough books to go around. <laughs> I right. promise. In 2021, I believe, I looked this up uh, for a uh, guest post that I wrote. In 2021, over 2 million books were self-published. That is not counting indie press. That is not counting mainstream. That is self-published books, over 2 million of them in 2021. There are enough books to go around. I promise. <laughs> we don't all have to read the same books. We don't all have to read the same genres. There is enough to go around. Um, and, you know, and that's part of the reason why I don't consider, uh, you know, I have um, editing friends, uh, friends that are editors and proofreaders as well. I don't consider them competition. There's enough work to go around. Um, right. So I think authors feel, you know, the same way is, you know, they're, and I think that's part of the reason why the indie community has managed to stay out of a lot of the drama that's been going around um, about books and, and publishing and, and all of that is because they come into the community knowing there's enough 
work to go around. There's enough books to go around. Um, you know, if this one person doesn't like my books, somebody else will. And so they come in and they're supportive of each other because they don't consider each other competition. And, you know, I think that's fantastic. Um, Right. So, and that's a lot of the reason why I'm so supportive of the community is because there's, you know, I see you guys being supportive of each other. And that just kind of makes me want to be part of the crowd. You know, if you're supportive. I want to be supportive too. <laughs> Let me in the in crowd, right. please. Um, so we have just a, just a few minutes left. Where can people find you? Um, they can find me on Twitter at a sci-fi writer, which I'm so happy I got that handle. Um, and you can also find me just search Amazon for JD Sanderson under books. You'll find all my books listed on one page. Do you have a, do you have an author website or do you just have Amazon? Just Amazon. I am, I'm the cheapest man alive. <laughs> I make Steve Martin in the bottom of the bride look like he's a big spender. So oh just- no. <laughs> And that is, anybody who's seen that movie knows what a big deal that is. That's really, that's funny. Um, Again, no judgment. If you don't, um, if you don't have an author website, that is totally fine. Um, Go find um, JD over on Twitter and come hang out with us. Um, And, uh, you know, thank you so much. This hour just kind of flew by. It was, it went very, very, very quickly. Um, I enjoyed it very much. Um, Thank you so much for coming and visiting with me today. I loved it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. No problem. I'll talk to you on Twitter. See you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I absolutely loved having you as a visitor. I loved having JD on the show today. It was an absolute blast. Uh, Real quick, before I go, I wanted to let you know about some ways that you can support this podcast. I absolutely love being able to put this out for you, and I love your support. Um, The two biggest ways that you can support this podcast is to listen every week. Um, I have, um, I check my anchor numbers um, on my app and I love watching those listen numbers go up. It makes me so thrilled. So that is the absolute biggest way that you can support this podcast. Um, I would also love if you would tell your friends, uh, share the podcast, get some other people uh, listening, get some other people involved. Um, Again, that goes back to listening every week. Um, If you tell them and they listen every week, I get even more happy because my number go up even more. So, um, uh, the third way that you can support is through anchor listener support. Um, if you go to my anchor website, which is anchor.fm forward slash picky bookworm, you can actually, um, send me a tip uh, through the website and let me know how much you appreciate this podcast. Uh, you can also do the same thing on Twitter tips. Um, you can go to at picky bookworm. If you go to my profile, there's a place there where you can send me, um, a couple of dollars, $1 50 cents, however much through my cash app. Um, and I would love that as well. Um, 
for authors. Uh, the One of the ways that you can support the podcast and get something in return is for $10 per episode for four weeks, you can have a blurb and an ad for your book, uh, read and um, listed on my podcast. I have up to three authors per episode available. So if you are interested, visit my podcast page on my website, thepickybookworm.com forward slash podcast, head down to the bottom and send me a message and just let me know using subject line podcast sponsorship that you would like to um, help sponsor and get that blurb slash ad read on the podcast. Um, any of these ways, um, some of them cost money, some of them don't. Uh, I I love all of them. So any way that you choose to support this podcast, trust me, I am grateful for all of you. And I love every one of you. And I'm so glad that you listened. Thanks, everyone. And I will be back next week. Cheers.